Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Glad to have you with us today. It's a special midweek edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. Today, our interview guest is Rod Sides. Rod is the vice chairman of Deloitte LLP and the leader of their U.S. retail, wholesale, and distribution division. Oftentimes, Rod is associated with a lot of research and different reports that Deloitte will put out. And today we're going to discuss a report that just came out yesterday. It's their holiday retail survey for 2020. They surveyed a ton of consumers about their planned shopping habits. And I think some of the numbers will surprise you, especially the difference between shoppers' perception and reality that certainly seems to be maybe widening in 2020. We'll also discuss a couple of other numbers. We'll look ahead to this weekend's podcast and we'll lead off with a retailer that we haven't discussed for a few years now on the podcast. A reminder, you can check us out. You can like us, rate us on any podcast listening service. Your ratings, if you enjoy us, certainly help others to find the show. You can access us via Apple Podcasts, via Amazon, via Spotify, pretty much any podcast listening service that's out there. You can also check us out on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Retail Podcast. So I mentioned in our news segment, we're using this podcast to talk about a retailer we haven't discussed in a while. That retailer is the Container Store. Well, if you looked at the show notes, you probably figured that much out. But pre-pandemic, they were known as a retailer we felt may have been better off as a private company. They are publicly traded, but over the last five years or so, they faced some scrutiny because of all things, their excellent treatment of employees. Many high-level investors felt as though the bottom line was not being regarded as highly as it should have been for a publicly traded company. You saw a couple of analysts pitch in there as well. We're honestly fans of the retailer and their constant evolution, including their foray into closets, which we'll talk about here in a moment. No matter what the share price says or investors may think, this seems to be a retailer that has a fairly strong footing. And indeed, since the last time we discussed them on the podcast, they've seen some measure of stabilization as a company during a time of continued measured growth. And I say that, you know, there's that old joke about how do you know a drummer is knocking on your door? Well, the knocking speeds up and it slows down and it speeds up and it slows down. There's an old music joke there, but it's really true as it pertains to the container store's growth, because the container store has gone through these fits and starts of large expansion and then slowing down and large expansion and then slowing down. And right now, they're kind of in that stage where they've slowed their growth down a little bit. So a little bit about the container store for those that might not be aware of the company or might not be tied in with the company's news too much. It's been nearly a year since they opened their last new location, but they do have 92 stores spread throughout the country, really 93 if you want to count one that's partially open. We'll talk about that in a second. There's a bit of a concentration around their Texas headquarters, but they do have quite a bit of a geographical spread. They're a store that's often in suburban areas. You're looking at larger markets, usually metro areas of over 1 million people. Back around the turn of the century, they attempted to grow through vertical integration in an acquisition of Alpha, which is at one time their largest vendor. So when we talk about the Alpha part of the company, you're really looking at 
a part of the company that supplies others with product as well as the container store. So let's get to the numbers for their 2022nd quarter because that's really the reason we're talking about them. They had an earnings call earlier this week on the 20th. This quarter ended September 28th for them. It was their fiscal second quarter, and Zach's consensus estimates coming into the call were for a loss of $0.01 cent per share compared to earnings of $0.08 cents per share a year ago. And needless to say, these estimates were absolutely crushed by the container store, with earnings per share coming in at an amazing and unprecedented, at least for them, $0.41 cents per share. $0.41 cents per share set a record for them as a publicly traded company, which Again, it's not like they've been a publicly traded company for 70 years, but that is a record for second quarter earnings for them. Adjusted earnings per share came in at 43 cents per share. And for what it's worth, we mentioned we like the retailer regardless of share price, but Wall Street certainly seemed to like this with a 9.7% stock price increase during trading on Tuesday. But when you look at the numbers that were really driving this earnings beat, it was as a result of sales booming in the container store's retail division, although sales remained flat for the company's Alpha International division. Alpha sales, as it pertained to the container store, were actually pretty decent, more or less flat, but their sales to external retailers were down around 6%, causing some softness there. Now, at the container store, sales rose 5.3%. That includes the retail stores. That includes online sales. It was helped along by an online sales increase of 86.4% in the quarter over last year's second quarter. Oddly enough, they didn't release comp store sales because, as they noted on the call, all the stores but one, which is their San Francisco store, which is curbside only currently, not allowed to be open, would be considered for comp store sales. So basically, they haven't opened any stores, they haven't really closed any stores since last year, so Comp sales materially the same as the 5.3% increase they showed overall. They do include e-commerce sales in their overall comps. Now, despite that online sales growth, that number is a large number, but in line with other specialty retailers we've seen, 86.4% rise year over year, digital sales, which include curbside, accounted for around 19% of their sales in the quarter. So keep that in mind again when we talk about all of these sales pushing online still makes up less than one-fifth of the container store's overall sales. So it was crucial for the container store to be able to get all their stores back open in the second quarter. And as we mentioned, all but one of their stores was opened up or reopened in the second quarter. Now, as far as margins were concerned, that led to that strong bottom line showing. They saw the same slight benefit that many retailers are seeing as a result of scale. Sell 5% more on goods, gross margin typically increases, and gross margin increased 50 basis points for them in this quarter. Beyond this, they saw a monetary benefit from less promotional activity. So kind of what we're seeing in the home improvement space, actually, when you think about Home Depot and Lowe's, although Lowe's running a few more promotions, but both of them have said, hey, we've curtailed promotional activity and our margins are benefiting for it because... We don't have to run the promotions, and on top of that, we're trying to keep traffic manageable in stores for safety purposes. The other thing that benefited the container store here was greater sales of high-margin products, especially as the quarter came to an end. Now, all of this benefit was offset by, you guessed it, increased shipping costs. And this is actually something we'll talk to Megan Martindale of CBRE about in this weekend's podcast, is the fact that Shipping costs have really kind of thrown a wrench in a lot of retailers' plans, and 
can be a losing proposition for them in terms of margin. Shipping did hinder margin for the container store, although not enough to negate the overall benefit from increased sales, as we talk about, because their margin was up overall. Now, one of the more impressive things the container store mentioned on the call from a numbers perspective was their continued sequential growth in sales. The further they got into fall, the better their sales were looking versus last year. For example, their September net sales organization-wide were up a whopping 16.8%. We'll talk about why the company thinks they're up like that in just a moment. Leadership actually said they've seen October sales improve on these numbers so far. So again, you're looking at comps in the mid to upper teens. So October sales, they've got to be looking awful good. And there are a couple of reasons, if you weren't on the earnings call, that you could attribute to this. External reasons, certainly. But their customer base, which has traditionally been middle and upper class, seems like they're still willing to spend and has become increasingly focused on home organization. And as we'll talk to Rod Sides about here in a moment, there's a definite nesting effect we're seeing among U.S. residents and U.S. shoppers currently. This is parlaying itself into strong sales for those in segments like home decor, home organization, home improvement, right in the container store's wheelhouse. However, the company was unwilling to go all in on the optimism front. CEO Melissa Reif said on the call, that they do expect potential moderation during the holiday season, meaning this flush of business during September and October may not last. Now, let's draw all of this back to their initiatives going on. The last time we talked about the Container Store, they were all about marketing. And that's a lot of what was discussed on the call. In fact, in the prepared remarks on the call, I would guess marketing took, seemed like 60 to 70 percent of the overall prepared marks on the call. So Melissa Reif, again, their CEO and their chair, talked about marketing extensively. And it's not just for them about advertising and social media partnerships, although they are doing plenty of those. It's about partnerships with well-known personalities and designers. We've seen this pay off for certain retailers in the past. Certainly, we've seen it pay off big for Target, for example. But one such partnership was announced during the quarterly earnings call. And that partnership's with Marie Kondo, who I think you could reasonably call the leading celebrity in the organization space, maybe the only celebrity in the organization space. But they are partnering with Marie Kondo to bring private label products, or basically Kondo-branded products, into stores by January 2021. And they're calling this a limited exclusive partnership, although there are over 100 products in this new line all of which are said to be sustainably sourced. They won't actually carry the Marie Kondo name. It'll carry the name of her media company, KonMari. Besides the Kondo partnership that they announced this week, though, they launched one with the Home Edit just prior to the launch of their Netflix show in early fall. Since the Netflix show released, their loyalty program enrollment increased 39% versus September and October of last year. So you compare it year over year during the similar time frame, and it seems as though there is certainly what the company called a halo effect. In addition, going back to those September and October increased sales that we talked about, they were up mid to high teens, maybe even into the 20% for October. And we talk about macro reasons why that might be happening, but the company said, hey, there's some internal reasons for that too. Their partnership with the Home Edit, they feel like, 
has really funneled people towards their stores because of awareness. They've seen increased web traffic. They've seen increased loyalty program enrollment, as I talked about. And they feel like that's one of the reasons you're going to see sales moderate into November and December because the Netflix show launched in September for the home edit and it was a big deal, but they expect some of that halo effect to maybe die off as they get into the later part of the year. So it's not just a matter of people maybe moderating holiday spending or spending on other things. It's a matter of maybe some of their marketing partnerships just not declining necessarily, but going into a a natural waning phase there. Now, their custom closets initiative, as I mentioned earlier, that's been a big winner for them as well in recent years. And it took a huge hit in Q1 because the stores weren't open. So customers could certainly log online and interact there, but it didn't have quite the same effect as customers going to their stores as showrooms, so to speak. And this quarter, the Custom Closets Initiative returned to being a big winner for them. Sales in that segment were actually flat year over year, but up massively sequentially over Q1. That was a little bit of a concern for the company. Could they maintain all the momentum they built in this business segment? The answer seemed to be yes. They bounced right back in the second quarter. Once again, they outlined their lasting partnership with the YouTube channel What's Up Moms for partial credit and driving awareness for their custom closet services, which now all of their stores offer. The last time we discussed it on the show, it was only a partial offering across their store footprint. They've been able to expand virtual tools as well, even further in the last six months. All of that talk we've been doing, especially over the summer regarding AI and 3D and implementation in websites. Well, the container store has been right there with all of the other retailers in that. And the fact that, again, all of their stores, with the exception of one, reopened in Q2 meant a big bump for their custom closets division. But here's something I found really interesting is that when the stores reopened in Q2 and they started getting customers back to the custom closets division, their demographic for this segment has gotten much more diverse. That's a huge benefit for them and a big reason for optimism going forward for the company. If they can reach outside of the middle to upper class female demographic, that's big news for the container store. Other areas, by the way, before we finish up on them, of category strength that they saw, they were kind of unsurprising. It's what you see in a lot of home improvement and home decor retailers. Home office, that was big. Again, people working from home. Kitchen, that was a big segment in Q2. Overall storage, all up significantly. All of this makes sense because, again, people are nesting, people are spending more money at home. And that is something that Rod Sides will mention here after this break as he joins us to talk about Deloitte's much-anticipated report regarding their retail survey of consumers, their holiday survey, 35 years old this year, and he'll discuss some historical perspectives as well as some perspectives unique to 2020. No surprise to our regular listeners, we love projections and we love data. And moreover, we love when those two things collide And yesterday, Deloitte released their annual holiday survey of U.S. shoppers, and there were some interesting findings. And to discuss those, we are more than pleased to be joined by Rod Sides, the vice chairman and leader of the U.S. retail group with Deloitte LLP. Rod, we've long been fans of Deloitte's work, and we're pleased to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Delighted to be with you. Thank you. First, I don't think Deloitte 
needs any introduction, but do you mind discussing just a little bit about where the data for this 2020 holiday survey comes from and some of the methods that were used here kind of on the back end? Happy to do it. So every year we survey about 4,000 consumers across the U.S. We make sure we've got good coverage across all demographic groups, et cetera, and we use that to gauge what we think shoppers are going to do this holiday season. This is the 35th year in which we've run this study. So have a little bit of experience in at least understanding what consumers say they're going to do. And that's kind of the, the key to this study because this is more about what consumers say or think that they will do. And based on the findings here, it seems that a lot of shoppers expect to maybe curtail holiday spending versus last year, despite the fact that their household finances aren't necessarily worse. There's a little bit of a gap there in between people who say that their household finances have been affected and those who say they're curtailing holiday spending. What are some factors that you found in the survey for this? Well, there are a couple of things when we ask folks about their shopping intent. I think there are a number of respondents, about half who were worried about the economic future, and specifically, even though, as you mentioned, their personal situation wasn't necessarily worse off, I think there's just some uncertainty with COVID and the impact there. And then about 40% said they want to save a little bit more, so that's a big factor. And one of the more interesting things as you delve into the data is there seems to be almost this disconnect maybe between shopper expectations and the expectation of the retail industry. For example, I know in Deloitte's projections that came out a few weeks ago, we're looking at you know still a large chunk, a vast majority of spending happening during this season in brick and mortar stores, yet shoppers in this survey say they expect to spend about 64% of their holiday budget online. Why might there be this difference in terms of shopper perception versus what we might actually see in the retail space? Well, I think there's a number of factors that play into that. Certainly, the safety factor is a big portion of what people say they're intending to do. They're worried. I think a little bit about going into stores. There's a little bit of anxiety around that. And then also the whole convenience factor has really started to play into the psyche of how the consumer shops. So I think that when we talk to them in this survey, they have a tendency to talk about wanting to shop online, wanting to, to be able to shop really all hours of the day and create a more of a convenient shopping experience. So I think that's partly to explain kind of the difference of you know how they might shop and how they intend to shop. You talk about that convenience. I think one of the more interesting findings surrounds this shift regarding the reason shoppers are using some of these online resources, particularly by online pickup and store. What were some of the differences? You, you released this survey and you found some distinct differences, in fact, between April 9th when you surveyed consumers and September 17th when you surveyed consumers as to why they're using these services. What were some of those differences that you found? Well, when we asked consumers back in April why they might use buy online and pick up in store, the predominant reason was for safety. I think the virus is pretty well unknown by that point, and a lot of folks just didn't want to have to go in. They didn't want to have to deal with that uncertainty of the safety protocol. Now I think we've settled into a little more, I won't call it normal, I don't think anything is normal in this environment, but at least they're comfortable with what they're seeing. And so what we're finding is folks are now using buy line and pick up store because it's faster and they perceive it to be cheaper. And so with those two factors, folks understand the convenience of it, but they also like the ability to go in and pick up the item immediately and save a few dollars and not have to wait. I want to shift our focus now kind of towards the macro level. And we know based on various earnings calls for retailers and other retail findings, 
Spend is being shifted, particularly out of travel and entertainment, towards retail, and your survey kind of backed up the fact that this is likely to happen for the holiday season. Which retail categories stand to see the most benefit of this shift based on the data that you were able to collect? Well, I think we're seeing a little bit of a nesting phenomenon going on in our households. And so household decor, items for the home, look like they're going to rise by about 12% year over year, really at the expense of travel and entertainment. So travel and entertainment as a category, we project to be down as much as 34%. Again, I think it's decorating, you know, decking the halls, if you will, is going to be a big part of what the consumer does heading into this holiday season. And I know one of the other categories here, clothing and accessories also expected to increase based on the survey data. And that was a category that saw the biggest hit during the spring this year. A ton of stores were closed, obviously, not a lot of e-commerce traction there. Is this a matter, and are we seeing this in other categories too, of maybe customers playing catch-up from things that they didn't purchase or things that they didn't get around to doing earlier in the year? Well, it could be a little bit of that catch-up. What we normally find in holiday is that apparel is usually either one or two in terms of what people normally buy, either for themselves or for others in the holiday season. It is now slightly year-over-year in terms of just the pure roll amount that they plan to spend. But there is going to be a fair amount of catch-up. So my guess is we'll be focused more on bottoms and tops because I know a lot of my colleagues and friends were really focused on the upper half given how many video calls were on every day. That's exactly correct. Now, one of the more interesting things as you get into the survey data is that you were able to kind of aggregate the data and create this concept of the four distinct types of holiday shoppers that kind of emerged from the responses. I was wondering if you could discuss a bit about each of these four groups and how they differentiate from one another. Sure. So we start with essentially Francesca, the festive shopper, and we should think about Francesca is more the traditional shopper that we see. The demographic there skews a little bit older, generally doesn't buy anything for herself when she's out shopping, but spends the most. And so as a result, there are ways to obviously to connect with Francesca. Keeping nostalgia of the holiday alive is really important. And so retailers who cater to her, I think, are likely to see a good outcome. Generally, Francesca spends more than the other personas do. If we look at the next one, Chloe is more of a socially conscious shopper, very focused on safety around COVID, very focused around sustainability, and that's important to her. And so being able to understand more detail about how the products are sourced, where they come from, et cetera, is really important to focus on her. And then we get to the deal seeker. So the deal seeker is kind of next in line. Generally speaking, this is a demographic that takes a little bit longer to shop, willing to try new brands, always looking for the best offer that's out there, often will defer personal purchases, especially big ticket items to the holidays, so that he gets the best deal in the season and is able to save money. And then finally, we get to Eddie, the efficient shopper, and skews a little more male than female, as you might well imagine, about 58% in this category being male, really focused on going to fewer locations. So we'll shop generally one to four stores and really not go beyond that, looking for a really effective shopping experience Maybe last minute, but more importantly, very focused on getting the job done. Eddie, unfortunately, is the one who spends the less with just over about $1,000 in spend. So understanding which shoppers cater to your brands is really important for how to communicate to them in this environment. So just out of curiosity, which shopper would Rod Sides be there? 
That's a great question. I would think from an efficiency perspective, I, I certainly am one that when I go, I get the job done pretty shortly. But unfortunately, I think my budget's maybe a, a little bit over what Eddie normally spends. So I'm somewhere between Francesca the Festive and uh, Eddie from an efficiency perspective. But I love the season. It's a great time to give for others and gift others. And to me, that's the most important part of the season. That's fantastic. Now, I do want to get to when people are going to shop because something we've been hearing over the last couple of months is that holiday shopping might skew a little bit earlier this year with the movement of Prime Day. People might start shopping in October instead. But actually, the numbers that you uncovered seem to suggest something different. What are we looking at in terms of timing and the shopping window this year? Well, what's really interesting, because we ask the question every year, is that the respondents haven't really changed when they plan to start. And that's usually how we ask a question. When do you plan to start? How long is the duration, et cetera? About 38% of respondents expect to start before the end of October. And that's pretty much where we were last year. And then the cascades ends in November, obviously, just before Thanksgiving and after. So it's really interesting that we have seen so many promotions happen earlier in the shopping season. But you know, perhaps retailers are waking up to the fact that folks have started much earlier it will be interesting to see how the spin skews, though, especially with Prime Day now being in October and the number of additional offers and kind of competitive responses to Prime Day. We're starting to look for the amount of spin that happens to see if they were able to coerce some of us to spend a little bit sooner than, than otherwise. What was really interesting about the data is the duration shrunk by about a week and a half this year, which was surprising to us. Generally, the start-to-finish shopping duration runs seven, seven and a half weeks. At least that's the way it was in 18 and 19. This year, respondents told us they were going to get their shopping done in about 5.9 weeks, which is considerably shorter, especially given that we've got an extra week. Last year, over the holiday season, we had the shortest possible time between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve. This year, we have that extra week that you might expect. So it's really curious that they decided that they were going to shop more efficiently. And so the big question is, do you move it up? And are you worried about being able to get things at the last minute based on some of the challenges in the supply network? Or is it just the opposite? We find folks are kind of keeping their cash, keeping their powder dry until they get further in the season. Only time will tell. We hope to look at that in the coming weeks. Lots of questions still hanging out there for retailers. One final question, and I know we've talked about it. So much has changed, obviously, between this year and last year, that much is kind of spelled out in the survey data. But was there something when you started pouring over the survey data as it started coming in that really jumped off the page or maybe caught you by a little bit of surprise? Well, certainly the shopping duration we just talked about did. But where I think the silver lining is for retailers is that the actual retail categories themselves are actually up about 2%, which is in line with where our projections were. So when we strip out travel and entertainment and we get to things that are purchased either online or through traditional retail, it still looks like the holiday season may be salvageable, which is really exciting from our perspective and hopefully gives us some hope. The other thing is I think the consumer's ready to go. I think the if we can get through some of this economic uncertainty, I think the consumer's ready to rally. I think they're looking to get back to some sense of normalcy. But maybe that's not a surprise. Maybe it's more optimistic. But I think we're going to potentially see some good things going the holiday. At least I'm very hopeful. Once again, Rod Sides, thank you so much for the insight and also for what you do on a day-to-day. It gives us a lot of data to work with in the retail industry. Happy to do it. Thanks for your time. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the podcast hosts.
Well, we thank Rod for joining us. And once again, I want to drive home the idea that, again, this is a consumer survey. So this is consumers detailing how they think they're going to spend their money, where they think they're going to spend their money. And we could have talked to Rod all day long about this survey, but I wanted to detail some finer points about it in our looking ahead segment. So I mentioned it briefly in one of my interview questions, but customers this year believe their share of spend will be 64% online and 28% in store. So you look at that and you look at the amount of spend potentially going online for customers and you say, well, that's much greater than some of the other prognosticators, even Deloitte's internal projections for what we're going to see during the holiday season where online sales aren't expected to crest above 50%. And all of these questions regarding, hey, what's that going to do to the supply chain? Is that going to cut into people's bottom lines as they have to ship these products out? We're already seeing UPS, FedEx, and the like begin to throttle some retailers or even stop shipments from certain retailers altogether if they're not larger clients. But I think it's important to take a historical perspective there because last year in the same survey, shoppers said they would spend 59% of their funds online versus in-store. What happened? Well, we know from macro-level holiday sales that that number was more around 15%. So you really wonder as to why that division between what shoppers say they're going to do and what they actually do exists. Is it a matter of maybe procrastination in shopping? Is it a matter of just Again, with Deloitte, they're surveying everyone. They have a very good cross-section of America, so it's not as though they're just surveying a certain contingent of people that will shop online. So why is there this division there? Is it media-driven even? Is it status-driven? Do people like the idea of shopping online? Well, also, one of the things that Rod mentioned is you saw a lot of changes from their April consumer survey to this consumer survey as to why customers are using buy online, pick up and store. Fewer people are saying they're using it because it's safer. More people are using it because of perceived saved money versus delivery. And again, we talked about delivery in the container store story, how it is negatively impacting their margins. But another 6% said it was faster than delivery. And this ties into a lot of our other looking ahead segments where we're saying, hey, supply chain has really been tested here in the United States, not just in terms of stocking brick and mortar stores, but FedEx, UPS, United States Postal Service, they have struggled to get packages delivered on time pretty much universally. And so for the retailers out there that aren't Amazon, that aren't Walmart, that aren't Target, that don't have their last mile services, this is a big concern. And so it pays for retailers to communicate this message to consumers, especially over the next couple of months. Hey, Buying online, picking up in store is going to be faster than delivery. You'll have the product in your hand. There's more of a guarantee there rather than putting your faith in this third-party delivery service. So I think that was very interesting. And one of the final notes from this, and again, we could talk about this report all day long. We could talk to Rod over several shows. I feel like Rod, by the way, is in kind of the same canon as Danny Cushion from Cardlytics and Megan Martindale from CBRE where we could just talk to them forever and have multiple shows with them just talking about all the retail data they see. But they asked the question on this survey, Deloitte did, how many physical stores do you plan on visiting during the holiday shopping season? The answer was an average of 5.2 in 2020. And you look historically and you're like, well, that's down quite a bit from the 7 
2019 that customers responded. But then you look back just a little ways. You only have to go back to 2017 to see that the average number of physical stores people were planning on visiting then was 5.7. So you're really only looking at less than a 10% drop off in the number of physical stores people expect to visit in just three years time, which again, I think is fairly interesting because you're looking at, again, people supposedly curtailing their physical store visits during a pandemic, but yet the numbers are not too far out of line with what you were seeing from 2014 through 2017. And yeah, there are macroeconomic reasons as to why these numbers went up briefly in 2018 and 2019, but still found that very interesting to learn that consumers are planning on still visiting stores at the same clip that they were about three years ago, despite the pandemic conditions. And so that's an important aspect to keep in mind, especially for those that think, hey, everything might be moving to online here. People are still going to visit stores. They might want to be more efficient while they're doing that, but people are still going to visit brick and mortar stores. And so it's a matter of what companies are going to do to adjust to that. And not just companies, what landlords are going to do, mall managers, shopping center managers are going to do to adjust to that. To that end, that leads us directly to Sunday's show, where we are going to talk to Megan Martindale of CBRE, again, the global head of retail research for CBRE. She's going to discuss their recent U.S. holiday trends report. And this is something that they join us every year to talk about. But this year's trends report, obviously much different than last, but I think some of the interesting things she's going to discuss, the way in which landlords, property managers, and retailers are all working together to leverage the space that they have to make sure they can provide a safe but valuable and positive experience for customers that will be shopping in brick and mortar this holiday season. So that's an interesting interview. I hope you will download this Sunday's show. And again, you can simply select in your podcast app that you would like the show to automatically download and it will appear Sunday evening when that's launched. Well, once again, we thank everyone for making this podcast possible, including Rod Sides of Deloitte for joining us. We thank you for listening and we'll be back just a few days from now. This has been the Retail Focus Podcast. For more, visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at Retail Podcast.